Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the never-twisted Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who is committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. They do this through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Before the end of the year, simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. We appreciate your support. Now, let's get to it. This week, we've been reminded how powerful and deadly tornadoes are. At the time of this recording, authorities are still working to understand the impact, death, and devastation from tornadoes that hit Kentucky and the U.S. South this past weekend. It's on a lot of people's minds, and there's a lot of questions about what actually happened, but it even goes earlier than that. Lucy, let's start with the basics. What causes tornadoes to begin with? There are three criteria that have to be met for a tornado to form. First, you need to have cold air meeting hot air to form a thunderstorm. Second, you need enough currents within that thunderstorm to become what's called a supercell thunderstorm, meaning the winds are really moving around. And third, you need wind shear different wind directions at different elevations that can push the spin in the thundercloud down to the ground. Pretty simple physics. So with that basic knowledge, why do we have something called Tornado Alley or that I've heard about as Tornado Alley here in the US? Let's start with what I said was the first condition, cold air meeting hot air. In the central part of the United States, we have the Gulf of Mexico producing lots of warm, humid air moving up onto the land and hitting a very large cold air mass coming down from Canada. It's because of our geometry that we've got a place where the conditions are met very, very often. We see tornadoes now over a much wider area as the water in the Gulf of Mexico is warming with climate change. But in that traditional tornado alley, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, we still see the largest number of tornadoes. But don't think you're immune from tornadoes if you live somewhere else. We've even had several tornadoes here in Los Angeles. So they're possible in a lot of locations. Tornado alley is just set up perfectly to get them very often. So we have the most tornadoes of anywhere in the world in what was traditionally tornado alley, but sort of that central part of the U.S. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. We have about 10 times as many as what's seen elsewhere in the world. So it's not surprising that we see devastating tornadoes on a regular basis. So here we go. Another negative superlative for the U.S., most tornadoes. But with that, the physics that you described and the geography that you described, what's it like on the ground? What's happening as tornadoes form if you're watching them happen? So first you get a thunderstorm coming through. All thunderstorms have the same ingredients, moisture, unstable air, and lift. The moisture is usually coming from oceans. The unstable air forms when you've got that warm, moist air near the ground and cold, dry air above it. Hot air rises, so if the hot air is near the ground, it wants to move up and the cold air sinks. Now you've got rotation, convection going on. Lift, getting it up into the tall thunderstorm cloud, comes from differences in air density. Second, you now need to take this up to what's called a supercell thunderstorm. All thunderstorms have some sort of convection cell. It can be a single cell, ordinary thunderstorm. It can be multi-cell, where you have a line of them. You sometimes call the squall line along a weather front. 
Then there's what are called supercell thunderstorms, which is when you have many different cells of convection going on with rotating winds moving these cells in multiple directions. That's a supercell thunderstorm, and it's the breeding ground for tornadoes. The spin has developed. You've got to get that rotation to be able to create the funnel cloud. You now have to pull the spin out of the thunderstorm and down to the ground. And for this, you need what's called wind shear. Winds at different altitudes blowing in different directions or at different speeds. That's what helps create the spinning column of air. And it starts out horizontal, but it can easily go vertical and drop down out of the cloud. When it touches the ground, it's a tornado and a big problem for anything in its path. It's a much more vivid description than I've ever heard for a tornado. I appreciate that. As I think about that, as we've talked before on this podcast and in other conversations, we've talked about how weather events in 2021 and into the near future are becoming more intense and more frequent because of climate change. And you mentioned earlier, the warming of the Gulf of Mexico creates a wider swath for that, quote, tornado alley. How's that playing out, though, as it relates to tornado season? Here we are in the second week of December talking about devastating tornadoes. How is that play compared to the past? The changing of the timing of tornadoes does seem to be happening because of climate change. You need that warm air in the Gulf of Mexico, and decades ago it would have cooled off by this time of year and not be such a source. Now that it's warmer, it's staying warmer, it's really still very hot this winter, and that's feeding the creation of tornadoes even in December, which traditionally wouldn't have happened. However, the overall number and intensity of tornadoes and the relationship of that to climate change is not very clear, much less so than some of the other meteorological phenomena. It's interesting, we aren't seeing a big increase in the number so far of tornadoes, but we are seeing an increase in what are called tornado outbreaks. What's a tornado outbreak? That's a period of one to several days with at least six tornadoes that are at least one on the Fujita scale, which is like the hurricane scale, right, to describe the size of them. Because the number is not up so much, it also means we have more tornado-free days. So that's an interesting thing playing out. If you look at it from the point of view of the physics, the increased heat in the atmosphere, and especially in the ocean, makes the creation of the thunderstorms more likely, and therefore sort of the opportunity for tornadoes is clearly up. But there's also some possibility that with increased heat, you actually get a decrease in wind shear, which would mean the actual creation of tornadoes becomes a bit less likely. That might contribute to this increasing concentration of them. So there's fewer times when you get wind shear, but when you have it, you've got the possibility of creating quite a bit more. This is a place where the prediction for what's going to be happening in the future isn't completely clear. But the short answer is we still have potentially devastating thunderstorms. They're not tornadoes, which are much more extreme, but you still have those damaging thunderstorms that could injure people and damage property more frequently. Right. It's just, That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's just the knowledge of whether or not that tornado is going to come down from it or not is what's still being studied. Yeah. What do you tell people then when they get a tornado warning? I'm from Los Angeles, as you are. We Though they're possible, they're rare. And I don't know right. if I've ever gotten a tornado warning myself. But when I travel, and I will start traveling again soon, what do I need to know if I hear there's a warning? Okay. When you've reached the point that there's actually a warning being issued for a tornado, your only choice is to protect yourself from the wind. Now, if there's a basement or a cellar, that's obviously the best choice. The tornado can't pick up all of the ground, but you need to have that basement or cellar nearby. 
I think the thing to remember is that tornadoes tend to kill more people for the amount of damage involved than some other disasters, especially earthquakes. We do much more about destroying property in earthquakes. But when you get to the point of the warning, just like when the earthquake begins to hit, the only thing you do then is think about your life safety because there are actions to take and forget about what's going to be happening to the building. This is yet another reminder that no matter what location you're in, there's going to be a natural disaster potential for you with the hazard being different in different locations. And it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're ready for whatever it is we might face in the location that we're at. Thanks for explaining it today, Lucy. And we'll leave it there for now. So until next time, I am John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. 